Hello? Anybody home? Today, I want you to open your mind. I've almost come to the conclusion that the story is so damning that the mass of people can't deal with it. We are in process of developing a whole series of techniques to get people actually to love their servitude. We face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose and insidious in method. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence. To change the minds and the attitudes and the beliefs of the people of the world, and especially the United States, to bring about one world socialist totalitarian government. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. If you can get people to consent to the state of affairs in which they are living, then you have a much more easily controllable society than you would if you were relying wholly on clubs and firing squads and concentration camps. Tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices to be found only in the minds of men. The military-industrial complex not only controls our government, but they control our culture. As you connect the dots between different people, organizations, places, religions, history, suddenly the picture starts to form. If you don't connect the dots, it's just a mass of what's all this about. The kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful to make this life a wonderful adventure. Someone born in the United States is not more special than someone born in Mexico. Someone who is white is not more special than someone who is black. They're just vehicles for the consciousness to experience. Brutes have risen to power, but they lie. They do not fulfill that promise. They never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. They do not want your children to be educated. They do not want you to think too much. It was learned that the aliens had been and were then manipulating masses of people through secret societies, witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion. They reach into our children in music, television, books. Pray on children's innocence. How can I disprove lies that are stamped with an official seal? So if you have the opportunity to stand next to one of these machines, it feels like an altar to an alien god. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. You can deny all the things I've seen, all the things I've discovered, but not for much longer, because too many others know what's happening out there. And no one, no government agency has jurisdiction over the truth. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man, that state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for Mankind in the Twilight Zone. It's about time some of you got acquainted with the real hard truth. Freedom is the privilege to be right. Freedom from the disasters of our mistakes. It's the heart that says, I will not acquiesce. Across the gulf of space, intellects, vast and cool and unsympathetic, regarded our planet with envious.
his eyes. Each of us, when separated, is always looking for our other half. And the desire and the pursuit of the whole is called love. Heart perception will change everything. I'm your host, Ryan Gable. And you're tuned into The Secret Teachings on The Fringe FM. If you'd like to contact the show, you can email us at rdgable, rdgable at yahoo.com. Find us on social media only on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings. And check out our website at www.thesecretteachings.info for all of my books, our show archive, now powered by Captivate, a little bit easier to use and to access to download. And our montage archive is also on the website. You'll get access to that when you subscribe to the show, along with all of my digital books that are on the website for subscribers. And if you do subscribe to the show to support The Secret Teachings, it also supports The Fringe FM. The network website is fringe.fm or thefringe.fm. You can download the network app for free for your phone. And you can listen to on-demand shows. You can send us shout-outs through the Fringe FM app. And, of course, listen to the Fringe 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. When you subscribe to The Secret Teachings, you support the show, the Fringe FM. And I'm continuing the special here into March. You will also get a free copy of one of my books when you subscribe to the show. Just go to thesecretteachings.info, click on the Donate slash Subscribe tab at the top of the page, and sign up for a yearly subscription, and then email me if you have any issue setting up the account, or email me so we can confirm your account after you subscribe. Now, last night on the show, and this show is in the archives at thesecretteachings.info, for those of you who have subscribed, we talked about cryptozoology. We talked about this ongoing series of reports on a team of researchers out of New Zealand who have gone to the famous, for some the infamous, lock in Scotland. And there are lots of locks, but the infamous lock of the Loch Ness monster, having back in 2018 through 2020, 2021, a team of researchers from the University of Otago in New Zealand, conducted a genetic DNA experiment of the lock and determined that based on 200 samples, finding millions of organisms and thousands of species, that 20% of the DNA that came back was unidentified. They also determined that otters and some other creatures that are known to live around the lock and in the lock were not identified in the genetic analysis. And they took this genetic sampling from various depths across the water. Now, their goal was to determine without a shadow of a doubt that if there was a Loch Ness monster, if there were a Loch Ness monster, they could identify the genetics, which to me never made much sense because if you don't know how this genetic uh, structure is for the Loch Ness Monster, how can you identify it? But 
it was really a publicity stunt as far as I, I'm concerned. And in 2018, when I first read about it, I said, they don't have the DNA of a Loctus monster, so they can't do this test and determine, okay, this is proof that there is or isn't a Loctus monster. What the scientists proposed was that the Loctus monster was probably a giant eel. And they, again, determined that 20% of the DNA was unidentified. Now, the thing about that is, and this just came out a few days ago, talked about it last night, unidentified DNA does not mean that the Loch Ness Monster is real any more than not being able to identify otter DNA in the DNA sweep of the Loch disproves that otters exist. What it tells us is the scientific method as devised by man is not always sound. And there are variables in that method that prevent us from obtaining a solid, absolute, settled scientific conclusion. Now, science is not a method. Science is merely observation. Science is the observation and the analysis and the processing and the understanding, the attempt to understand the world around us, the natural environment. That's the definition of science. When you apply that definition to mythologies, you find that mythologies are actually some of the original forms of scientific application. The scientific method was applying the current understanding of the world and the gods and the goddesses, etc., anthropomorphizing the cycles of nature and attempting to tune oneself with those cycles, as you see in witchcraft and various other forms of earth-based religions, some that aren't so much religions as they are belief systems, practices, rituals, ceremonies, etc. Mythology was science. Today, science has become this term that is used to dismiss anything that is weird, anything that is unexplained, and anything that contradicts the narrative and contradicts the status quo of those so-called scientific establishments that use that word implying prestige and correctness and accuracy. Now we hear that throughout human history, human beings, whether speaking medically or scientifically, speaking of the quantum level, the microcosm, or the universal level and the macrocosm, that human beings have never really truly understood the human body, the cosmos, the animals and the insects and the trees, the cycles of nature. We've never really understood those things until today. Modern man. Modern man understands the cycles of nature. So much so that modern man can tamper with the cycles of nature through chemical spraying, sulfur injection into the atmosphere, stratospheric aerosol injection, the technical name, silver iodide injection to 
cultivate rainfall, we can tamper with those cycles of nature. We can create, we can shut down, we can alter, we can modify, we can move weather. We can do the same thing to plants. We can do the same thing to animals. We can do the same thing to humans. We can also cross the two. We can cross insects with animals. We can genetically cross spiders and goats. This has been done. We can genetically cross pigs and humans. We can genetically cross pretty much anything that otherwise would never be crossed naturally or even semi-naturally, semi-artificially in the environment outside of a laboratory. Now, our ability to genetically tamper and to geoengineer does not mean that we understand, and it surely does not mean, in fact, it implies the opposite, that we respect in any regard that natural world that scientists are always talking about preserving and making better. And I never understood how man could see himself as partly imperfect, imperfect enough to justify eugenics and genocide and the like, but that some men are more perfect because some animals are better than other animals. You know, four legs, good, two legs, bad. And that some humans have the right to determine how other humans live and whether or not they deserve to die, whether or not they deserve the right to live. And these humans believe that they are chosen by God, essentially. Other humans are not chosen by God, and that makes them imperfect because God created an imperfect being as an imperfect being, but this imperfect being that the imperfect God created can somehow create a more perfect version of what the imperfect God created and create or recreate man in his image. This is the human 2.0 and the replacement of organic life with synthetic life on planet Earth from the Biogenome Project that deals with funguses and bacteria, plants and animals, cataloging all of them, to the Human Genome Project and the Brain Mapping Project, all of which I talked about in my book, The Technological Elixir, copies of which just came in the mail yesterday, so I've got a full stock of those books. They are selling quickly, though, so if you'd like to grab a copy, you can go to www.thesecretteachings.info and grab one of those books. They're on the website. You can read the reviews and see the book, and uh, we have digital copies as well if, if you don't want a physical copy, but I will autograph the physical copy if you order it from the website. So we have the overriding of the natural world in that sense. Now what I'm getting at here is we've been told that humans have never understood these things until now. And that any notion that humans in the past understood these things has been co-opted, I believe, and turned into a pseudo-religion of which I imagine many of you are interested in, as I admit I am myself, in the form of what we call ancient aliens. Now, I don't have a problem with ancient aliens, the TV show per se. I think it's hilarious, and I think it's some of it's informative. What I'm saying is, to clarify, our idea that past human civilizations 
and past generations, that these past civilizations and generations were somehow less advanced than we are today because we're always at the pinnacle of success and progress and achievement, all of which are, for lack of a better word, subjective in nature. Progress means going towards a destination. What destination is it? I don't know. You might not want to go to the same place I go to. That's progress. Progress can be authoritarianism. In fact, progress usually is authoritarianism in some capacity. But when we do look into the past and we say, no, humans have understood the natural world, the organic world. They have understood the micro and the macrocosm. And they've done it even without instruments and mechanical devices for thousands of years. We look into the past and we think, okay, the only way that could be done is if a more advanced race of extraterrestrials or humanoid aliens, if they assisted us in our progression. Progression, of course, in this context, meaning progressing toward the 21st century. Now, I think a lot of it is a result of degrading and demeaning human intellect and intelligence and intuition and a connection to a source, and capital A-L-L, a capital all, a capital source, S-O-U-R-C-E, suggesting that man is imperfect, God created an imperfect being, but an imperfect being can create a better perfect being than even the perfect but imperfect God created, and that we can override the organic world with a synthetic world and it will work even better, and that we understand things that we didn't understand in the past. And so humans just are insignificant, and so humans could never have built the pyramids, or humans could never have built these incredible structures all over the world, from Africa to South America to China. Humans could never have understood complex mathematics and science and even physics. Humans could have never have understood these things in, in, in ancient times, but evidence doesn't just suggest, and ancient alien theorists don't just believe. Evidence proves that humans did indeed construct and understand these complexities and that lots of information has been lost over the centuries. And there are numerous examples of this. A really fantastic example of this, I think, can be found in Civil War medicine. You know, we think Civil War medicine was barbaric. In reality, it was much more advanced than we think it was. However, if you go back thousands of years before the American Civil War between the North and the South in the 1860s, the complexities in the understanding of, of medicine and science were in some respect beyond what they are today. At some point, a lot of this information was lost. And we're going to try to uncover some of it tonight here on The Secret Teachings. I'm Ryan Gable, and you're listening to The Fringe FM. Subscribe to the archive, get access to all the shows, the montages, the digital books, and a free copy of one of my physical books autographed, shipped to you for free if you're in the United States. We do ship internationally. Stay tuned to The Secret Teachings right here on The Fringe. We'll be back. This is KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. The Ides of March is the notorious midpoint of that month associated with the death of Julius Caesar and the settling of debts in ancient Rome. Otherwise, it's a joyous gateway into the spring. To celebrate the coming equinox, The Secret Teachings is offering a one-year subscription to our show archive, 
montage archive, all of my digital books, and a free physical copy of one of my books with free shipping in the U.S., all for only $50. If you prefer a monthly subscription only to the archives and digital books, it's also available. Either donate $50 one time for the year or establish reoccurring payments through PayPal on our website at thesecretteachings.info or through the PayPal email rdgable at yahoo.com. This offer can be used to extend a current subscription and is good around the world. Your support truly keeps us on air five nights a week supporting both The Secret Teachings and The Fringe FM. My name is Alex Exum, and you're listening to The Fringe FM. So, you love talk radio, then you'll love TalkStreamLive.com. TalkStream Live is always on, 24-7, with the best streaming talk shows. Find your favorite talkers and discover some new ones. It's free, readily available online, or on mobile with any smartphone or tablet. Finding your favorite talk shows all in one place has gotten a whole lot easier. Just go to TalkStreamLive.com. Be sure to download the free apps from Google Play or the iTunes App Store. Have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? Do you question the nature of your reality? Join me, host Jess Rogie of The Rogie Report, as we find out more about the strange reality we live in. Here on The Fringe FM, KTLK Digital Broadcasting. This is Kev Baker of The Kev Baker Show. You can find me at Truth Frequency Radio or on my home website, www.kevbakershow.com. And you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. The truth is out there. And so are we. KTLK. Digital Broadcasting. The Fringe FM. Hello, folks. This is Jordan Maxwell. My website is jordanmaxwellshow.com. And you're listening to The Secret Teachings. Excellent shows. Keep listening. With your host, Ryan Gable. It's March, the month of the spring equinox, Ostara, right here on KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. This is David Icke, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. It's time you got acquainted with the real hard truth. This is Michael Strange from Troubled Minds. Did you hear that scientists recently discovered radio waves coming from Proxima Centauri? Well, I cannot confirm nor deny we are broadcasting from that neck of the woods. You are listening to KTLK, The Fringe FM. From parapsychology to pop conspiracy, and from parapolitics to health and esoterica, I'm Ryan Gable, host of The Secret Teachings, and I'll bring you all of this and more five nights a week right here on The Fringe FM. By using critical thinking and objectivity as keys to understanding, utilizing, and appreciating the secret teachings of all ages. You can catch the secret teachings Monday through Friday right here on the Fringe FM after Joe Roop and Lighting the Void. This is Grammy-nominated recording artist Johnny Cobb. You're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable.
I'm Ryan Gable, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings on The Fringe FM. I don't really stay up to date with celebrity news, but I thought this was really interesting, and I think it connects with tonight's subject about medicine and health and human progress and ancient technology. The actress Gwyneth Paltrow, who has been roasted by the media time and time again for her lifestyle suggestions and alternative methods of healing and medicine and things like that. And Gwyneth Paltrow is involved with what is called uh, Goop. It's a company that deals in various forms of, uh, you know, lifestyle treatments for illnesses, wellness advice, and, and things of that nature. A lot of female celebrities are involved in this. And she's been roasted by a number of publications. One of the uh, ones I have here is Live Science. And I wanted to read to you what they're saying about Gwyneth Paltrow because it is very, very, I think, relatable to the subject of ancient medicine, ancient technology, and what is happening today with our perception of where we have progressed since ancient man in regard to medicine and technology and things like this. Gwyneth Paltrow apparently who was diagnosed with COVID-19, which is interesting because scientists can't actually isolate COVID-19 or they haven't officially isolated it anyway. And uh, so she was diagnosed with COVID-19. She's got these symptoms of COVID-19, they say, lingering symptoms. So she apparently believes that COVID-19 made her sick and that she's got these lingering symptoms. And so in order to treat them, she says she's been able to treat uh, her brain fog and her fatigue with a number of things that are considered to be probably woohoo or wacky or new age. One of them is fasting until 11 a.m. Another one is a keto, which I disagree with, but I do agree with the plant-based diet part, and visiting an infrared sauna. Now, the article I have from Live Science says this, However, experts said there was no evidence that any of Paltrow's remedies could help with prolonged symptoms of COVID-19, also known as long COVID. They have to give it these names so it sounds official. Dr. Michael Sog, an infectious disease expert from the University of Alabama at Birmingham, said, I know of no scientific rationale for this approach and know of no data from clinical studies demonstrating the efficiency of these interventions. Okay, well, the woman has brain fog and fatigue. These are things you get from not sleeping enough. So maybe if you slept a little bit longer and you got eight or nine hours of sleep, that could treat your symptoms. But even to suggest that you should get more sleep and eat more plants, that would be considered a method of treatment that has no evidence whatsoever in relation to COVID-19. Well, that's because you associate COVID-19 with a viral particulate and because you associate the symptoms of COVID-19, which are basically the symptoms of any other condition, with a specific treatment method that has to be studied and quantified in order to be viable. So if I want to treat fatigue with rest, but it hasn't been studied in a COVID-19 trial, you could say there's no evidence linking sleep to a recovery for COVID-19 or COVID-19 symptoms. 
So I read this, and I don't particularly care to get into the details of it or the unfortunate politics of it. But to eat a plant-based diet, this does not cause the body harm. And if you're worried about your B12, eat the dirt on the plant or get a B12 supplement. You don't have to have meat. But beyond that, a plant-based diet is not dangerous. Keto might be dangerous. Fasting's not dangerous. Fasting has been done for thousands of years for different reasons, religious and others. Sometimes I fast. My partner Hope fasts just because she wants to let her digestive tract kind of process for a day, and it's kind of the reason I do it, or if I ate too much the last night, I kind of fast most of the day. But if you do it for COVID, they say that's, that's pseudoscience. There's no evidence that it helps. Well, if the symptoms are fatigue and brain fog, I imagine eating a plant-based diet and sleeping a little bit longer probably help. Personally, I don't really like breakfast. Breakfast makes me nauseous. I'm nauseous when I get up in the morning. I have been for years. So I kind of already do what Gwyneth Paltrow does, not because of COVID, just because I don't eat breakfast. I try to sleep in when I have an opportunity, and I eat a plant-based diet. But because it's an associate with the COVID, oh, that, that, that's not possible. It can't heal COVID. Now, the reason I read that is because, and I find this bizarre, that's mainstream science. That's medical establishment jargon. There's no evidence a plant-based diet can help with this or that. There's no evidence that fasting can help with Well, actually, there's some very basic evidence for both of those things. Because the symptoms of COVID-19 are the symptoms of any other disease. They're not the symptoms of an isolated, quantified, viral, or bacterial particulate. They are the symptoms of poisoning and detoxification, generally speaking, coming out of the body. And that's why, whether it's the cold or the flu or COVID-19 or whatever it is, you cough, you sneeze. You ever sniffed some peppers, you know, like peppercorns, and then you sneezed? You didn't sneeze because you had a disease. You sneezed because your body was trying to get rid of something that was invasive, that was irritating. Like with cat hair or dog hair, that's the easiest evidence of what a symptom is, but that's a symptom of COVID-19. Well, it's also a symptom of pretty much anything that irritates the body, including ammonium chloride compounds that have been used to clean and disinfect grocery stores and retail stores and businesses all across the world, along with bleach and other chemicals, to prevent people from getting sick. I went to Wegmans the other night. I'll call Wegmans out. Sue me. I went to Wegmans the other night, and Wegmans pulled all their produce off their organic shelf, and they were spraying it with bleach. That has to be illegal. In fact, I walked into Wegmans about two months ago, and they had aerosolized bleach. It was in the air. I started choking when I walked in. And then people are looking at me because I'm not wearing a mask, and thinking I have COVID and I should wear a mask. But no, it's like I literally just inhaled aerosolized bleach. Okay? It's not good for you. Bleach is not good. You don't want, but it, you can't tell that to people anymore. And the other thing I read in this article about Gwyneth Paltrow is that Goop, this company that gives you this lifestyle advice, 
has advised people to put jade eggs in their vaginas. And scientists say you don't want to do that because that could lead to bacterial infection. And I found that hilarious because, one, I'm sure the information about whatever putting a jade egg into the vagina, whatever that's supposed to do, I'm sure is based, it's out of context and it's not based on anything that's, yes, established in scientific literature. However, you're worried about bacterial infections. Do you know what causes bacterial infections? When you wear a mask all the time. And there's some very basic science to support that, but scientists will also tell you, got to wear the mask, doesn't matter what the science says. Well, hold on a second. When the Paltrow wants to eat a plant-based diet, it should matter what the science says. Infrared light supposedly kills viruses. It should matter what the science Should it matter what the science says? Or does it matter what the scientists say? Does it matter what is, what's important based on political association? What's important? What's more important? Politics or actual science? What got me thinking about this tonight is I read an article from the University of Copenhagen, the Faculty of Humanities, published on the 26th of February, 2021. And really interesting stories about an ancient Egyptian manual that has now revealed to researchers new details about the mummification process. The information about mummification is based on a manual recently discovered in a 3,500-year-old medical papyrus. University of Copenhagen Egyptologist Sophie Schud has been able to help reconstruct the embalming process used to prepare ancient Egyptians for the afterlife, and she's done this based on this medical papyrus. Now, up until recently... Only two texts on mummification had ever been identified. Egyptologists were therefore very surprised when they found a short manual on embalming in a medical text that is primarily concerned with herbal medicine and swelling of the skin. Now the article goes on to say that according to Sophie, the Egyptologist, One of the exciting new pieces of information the text provides us with concerns the procedure for embalming the dead person's face. We get a list of ingredients for a remedy consisting largely of plant-based aromatic substances and binders that are cooked into a liquid with which the embalmers coat a piece of red linen. The red linen is then applied to the dead person's face in order to encase it in a protective cocoon of fragrant and antibacterial matter. This process was repeated at four-day intervals, end quote. The manual is referred to as the Papyrus Louvre Carlsberg because of the places that hold ownership of it. Uh, the Louvre is involved. And it describes the embalmers working on the mummification process every four days. So it was a lengthy process. Uh, a ritual procession of the mummy marked these days, celebrated the progress or celebrating the progress of restoring the deceased corporal integrity amounting to a seven day, uh, 17 processions over the course of the embalming period. In between the four-day intervals, the body was covered with cloth and overlaid with straw infused with aromatics to keep away insects and scavengers. The bulk of the papyrus, which is the second longest medical papyrus surviving from ancient Egypt, deals with herbal medicine and skin illness. Specifically, it contains the earliest known herbal treatise, 
which provides descriptions of the appearance, habit, uses, and religious significance of a divine plant and its seed, as well as a lengthy treatise on swelling of the skin, which are seen as illnesses sent forth by the lunar god Konsu. And then it goes on to describe the embalming process, which took up to 70 days, divided into four intervals, and the mummy being finished on the 68th day and placed inside of the coffin. So this is an article from the University of Copenhagen. Ancient Egyptian manual reveals new details about mummification. Now, When I read that, especially the last part of it, about the papyrus itself, the second longest medical papyrus surviving from ancient Egypt, it deals with herbal medicine and skin illness, and it contains the earliest known herbal treatise, which provides descriptions of the appearance, habit, uses, and religious significance of a divine plant and its seeds, as well as details on the swelling of the skin and how to prevent, treat, cure, etc. Now, this is ancient Egypt. This is 3,500 years old. Ancient Egyptians didn't wake up one morning and suddenly decide to write this medical text didn't just wake up one morning and decide this is how we will put together the mummification process. This is how we'll carry it out. Now, a lot of people want you to either believe or they want to believe themselves or they immediately conclude humans 3,500 years ago were intellectually insignificant to humans in the 21st century Therefore, they must have been influenced by extraterrestrials. Extraterrestrials, therefore, become these gods, and ancient aliens takes on this religious dogmatic significance. Now, I'm not saying that aliens were not involved in humanity's past, nor are they involved today. In fact, I believe that there is in the tech industry and in the music industry and others, there are people that are possessed, call it machines, call it AI, call it demons. Most of you know my thoughts on Billie Eilish. I think she's literally possessed by the demon ball. Sounds crazy. If you listen to the show I've done on it, it sounds a little more sane. What her name actually means, Billy, Belly, Ball, Ball, the first king of hell, Eilish, Sumerian on high, Bell, the first king of hell on high. I think that at the very least, she's a personification of that demon, meaning that she takes on the image. She manifests that demon. And whether or not people are actually possessed by demons, aliens, whatever, it doesn't excuse, and it shouldn't excuse, and it shouldn't dismiss human creativity, ingenuity, human knowledge in the past that today we find to be beyond a possibility based on our bias that ancient man 3,500 years ago would never have understood these complex embalming processes. No way. But the physical evidence shows us that man did understand this process. Some will again say it's ancient aliens. Maybe it is. I think it's ancient man. I think ancient man was far more advanced than we typically think. And I think that what's happening today in the 21st century is a mimicking, perhaps in the same, perhaps in, the, in a different way, depending on how you want to look at it, I'm just speculating, is a similar accumulation of information and access to this information and knowledge. And then 
some decimating destructive event, and I'm not talking about war or an asteroid, I just mean something happens societally, that information vanishes and disappears only to be discovered or rediscovered again 100, 200, 300, 1,000 years from now. Ancient man understood a lot more than just we give ancient man credit for. The embalming process was understood by the Egyptians, and the texts date back 3,500 years. This one that the University of Copenhagen published about the ancient, this ancient Egyptian manual and this article. But the, the idea is going to go back even further than 3,500 years because the complexities of this process had to have been designed and tested and, and conducted over perhaps hundreds of years, if not another thousand years. So the text may go back 3,500 years, but the knowledge might go back 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 years, maybe even more. Now, that's pure speculation. But the reality is ancient man did understand medicine. Ancient man did understand the complexities of nature. Ancient man tried to help common people understand it and preserve this information in structures and in stories that would be passed down from generation to generation, they would in, they would be ensured to survive the test of time. When papyrus deteriorates and falls apart, stories go on. Structures stand, and they tell a story for those that are willing to listen. Now, we can misinterpret what they're saying. We can misinterpret the stories. We can create our own versions. But nevertheless, for the student of esoterica, if you will, the core, the gym, remains. And it's up to people like yourself to extract it and to figure out what it really means. Now, the, the first civilization known to have had an extensive study of medical uh, procedures, and medicine in general, and then to leave written records of it, uh, practices and procedures, was ancient Egypt. The oldest Egyptian medical texts are six papyri from the period of 2000 to 1500 B.C. The Cahun medical papyrus, the Ramsium IV, and the Ramsium V papyri, the Edwin Smith surgical papyrus, the Ebers medical papyrus, and the Hearst medical papyrus. Now, these texts, most of them based on older texts, dating probably before 3000 B.C., are comparatively free according to an article from pub.med that these texts are free of magic. In other words, even mainline medicine and I suppose archaeologists are looking at these types of texts and saying that Egyptian medical influence affected neighboring cultures and particularly Greece and that influence spread on to Western civilization and led us to what we have today. And that was based on like hard medical science. The magical stuff, not so much. But the reality is the magical stuff was no different than the scientific stuff. In fact, they're one and the same. Mythology is science. Magic is science. Now, with the discovery of this text, 3,500 years ago, medical papyrus University of Copenhagen Egyptologist Sophie Schiot documented through what this papyrus said 
that the Egyptians understood the mummification process thousands of years ago with information that probably dates back thousands of years before that. So that tells us that ancient man understood the complexities of these types of medical procedures long before modern medicine, thousands of years before modern medicine. And so that should make one kind of scratch their head. It should also make one kind of scratch their head. As per why, if, if you've studied the American Civil War, for example, and this is something that I love history. I've always liked the American Revolution, but I've gotten more into the Civil War recently, the last couple of years. And I went to a Civil War museum, actually, in Maryland about eight months, a year ago, a little less than a year ago. And when I went into this museum, I was walking around and I took some notes about medical procedures that were conducted on the battlefield and where some of these modern practices like evac and triage came from. And in looking at that, I started to think, well, we've always been told that Civil War medicine was very barbaric and that people's legs were chopped off, arms were chopped off, for the simplest scratch or nick. In reality, that's not the case. In reality, most of the, the, the things that were conducted, um, one of the biggest myths is that none of the, none of the procedures were conducted with any kind of anesthesia. In reality, 95% of surgical you know, actions were conducted with anesthesia, whether ether or chloroform. Some people, you know, they even used a tremendous amount of whiskey. Now, that might not be the modern, you know, anesthesia, but they did use that on the battlefield and in medical facilities during the Civil War in the 1860s here in what we call the United States. And contrary to popular belief, amputations that were performed were due to very unique damage that was caused by rifle musket rounds, which at the time had, had been introduced, a new form had been introduced onto the battlefield. So they were causing damages that doctors didn't know how to deal with. So they were amputating arms to save lives or legs to save lives, not just because like, oh, you have a bullet, let's cut it off. Now, the reason, again, I bring that up is because we think about the Civil War, for example, and we think, oh, they were just barbaric but they actually weren't. They were much more advanced in their understanding, not too far behind where we are today, generally speaking, within you know 150 years removed, 160 years removed from the 1860 Civil War. And when you look back in ancient Egypt, I mean, ancient Egypt, they understood the embalming process. They understood all kinds of medical things, herbology, you name it. Thousands, 3,500 documented, over 3,500 speculative based on well-controlled reasoning and speculation literally 4,000, 5,000 years ago. They understood these complex processes. So if that's the case, we really have no idea what was going on in, in, in our ancient past in terms of medical understanding, uh, mechanical technologies, and things like that. And if these types of things were happening in the 1860s, contrary to our belief that they were just barbarians, it kind of shows us a parallel that modern man is not so advanced, that we're doing things today the Egyptians knew how to do 4,000 years ago. We're doing things today that people operating on the battlefield in the Civil War were doing. 
we're not so far removed. So is it really that crazy to eat a plant-based diet to keep yourself healthy or go out and take a walk in the sun to keep yourself healthy? It's something to think about. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings, and you're listening to The Fringe FM. There's more after this right here on The Fringe. This is KTLK Digital Broadcasting, somewhere between the normal and paranormal. A collection of question marks. No reason, no explanation. Just a prolonged nightmare. Right here on The Fringe FM. Do you like The Secret Teachings and Ryan's passionately balanced approach to subjects from food and health to the entertainment industry and the occult? Then check out Ryan's books, available in PDF and softcover with free shipping in the United States. For a practical, balanced, and unique look at the food industry, vaccinations, the theories of disease, and geoengineering, grab a copy of Food Philosophy. For a deeper look into artificial intelligence, UFO cults, black goo, and packs made with the devil in the music and entertainment industry, have a look at the technological elixir. Or look for Ryan's masterpiece, Occult Arcana, an encyclopedia of occult knowledge spanning from mythology and science to symbols and sigils, from ritual magic to voodoo, and from comparative religion and psychic abilities to paranormal activity. All three books can be purchased on the website at thesecretteachings.info, where you can read reviews from other authors and radio hosts around the world. Just visit thesecretteachings.info. Hey, Fringe listeners, Dave Cruz here, reminding you that Beyond the Strange airs live Monday evenings at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 10 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on The Fringe FM. BTS is your one-stop shop for the paranormal, the bizarre, and most of all, the strange. Join me and co-host Black Sky Paranormals, Russ Bailey, as we discuss topics such as aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, and much more. Also, we talk with profound guests, authors, researchers from all over the world, and we take your calls live on the air. Go to beyondthestrange.com and learn more about the show, guests, times, free registration for our newsletter, merch, and much more. Again, that's Beyond the Strange, Monday evenings, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern, right here on KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. And as always, stay strange. The truth is out there, and so are we. KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. The Ides of March is the notorious midpoint of that month associated with the death of Julius Caesar and the settling of debts in ancient Rome. Otherwise, it's a joyous gateway into the spring. To celebrate the coming equinox, The Secret Teachings is offering a one-year subscription to our show archive, montage archive, all of my digital books, and a free physical copy of one of my books with free shipping in the U.S., all for only $50. If you prefer a monthly subscription only to the archives and digital books, it's also available. Either donate $50 one time for the year or establish reoccurring payments through PayPal on our website at thesecretteachings.info or through the PayPal email rdgable at yahoo.com. This offer can be used to extend a current subscription and is good around the world. Your support truly keeps us on air five nights a week, supporting both The Secret Teachings and The Fringe FM. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. 
you'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in paranormal talk entertainment, including the network you're listening to right now. The Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store. Yo, hi there. It's Gigi from Shift Happens. Just stopping by to tell you to stop it. Stop that. Stop that thing that you're doing. And redirect all of your attention right directly back here to the Fringe FM. This is Jess Rogie, host of the Rogie Report, and you're listening to the Fringe FM, KTLK, digital broadcasting. Are you thinking about creating a podcast but don't know where to start? Do you really want to have to learn all this stuff? Individual track processing, enhance and improve sound quality, edit out those processing clips, mix multiple clips and tracks, back volume, deliver consistent sound, live podcast production, show notes and SEO optimization, episode upload to hosting, live call screening, balance levels and allow to measure broadcast standards, full branding packages, logo design, podcast site, website, show artwork, video and audio production, gotta do video, or do you just want to get on the mic and get your ideas out there? The Fringe FM team is here to help with all of your podcasting, audio and video production needs. Enhance. From simple podcast to audio enhancement, our professional production staff will make it easier than ever to create the podcast you desire. The biggest thing is time. A lot of people that podcast don't have time. Time is like a really valuable currency next to cost. It's even more important than money. Why waste your time doing all this stuff? This is what we can do for you. Think about like the hours and the money you're going to have to put into doing all this by yourself. Doesn't make sense. It's going to take you months to launch. If we did it for you, we could do it tomorrow. Visit thefringe.fm. Join our team and get jump started on your podcast today everything is awesome everything is cool when you're part of a team it's march the month of the spring equinox ostara right here on ktlk digital broadcasting the fringe fm thanks again um this is very refreshing and i look forward to talking with you more soon ryan Hey, this is Anthony Tyler, author of Dive Manual, Empirical Investigations of Mysticism, uh, website divemind.net, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable, my man. Join me on a journey where getting lost is the only true destination, where happiness is an illusion, where the past, present, and future all coexist on the same timeline. your host Ryan Gable and you're listening to the secret teachings on the fringe FM if you'd like to contact us you can email the show at rdgable at yahoo.com you can find the show at www.thesecretteachings.info that's where our full show archive is with all the montages my digital books and more at www.thesecretteachings.info And if you'd like to use social media, we have one social media page. It's facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings, facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings. All of our shows are in the archive. Last night's show is uploaded on cryptozoology and a number of other things related to cryptozoology. 
such as the usage of words like science and the processes of the scientific method to demand authoritative following rather than to determine objectively and analytically and rationally what is more true and what is more definable than something else. And science is unfortunately used as a weapon to reinforce belief and to destroy other beliefs rather than a tool to confirm, in some cases, what ancient man knew hundreds or thousands and thousands of years ago. According to the University of Copenhagen, a recently discovered Egyptian manual from a 3,500-year-old medical papyrus has helped Egyptologists like Sophie Schiut to help construct an idea, an image, to reconstruct the embalming process used to prepare ancient Egyptians for the afterlife. Now, this is really interesting because up until recently, only two texts on mummification had ever been identified. For all that you see about mummification, for all that you hear about mummification, only two texts have ever been identified on the process of mummification. And yet, a lot of people think we're experts on mummification. I'm telling you that we couldn't do, probably probably couldn't do today. You know, I don't know a lot about chemicals. We know about things like formaldehyde, but I can tell you this. I don't think we could probably do today without the usage of modern chemicals what ancient Egyptians did 3,500 years ago. And they mummified bodies in South America and other parts of the world as well. We probably can't do today what they did then. Likewise, some of the things that were described in this 3,500-year-old medical papyrus and this manual on mummification include procedures for embalming the dead person's face, which is very specific. And according to the Egyptologist Sophie Shiod, They got a list of ingredients for a remedy consisting largely of plant-based aromatic substances and binders that are cooked into a liquid with which the embalmers coat a piece of red linen. The red linen is then applied to the dead person's face in order to encase it in a protective cocoon of fragrant and antibacterial matter. This process was repeated at four-day intervals. And the whole process to create a mummy wasn't just wrapping it up in some toilet paper. It was a 70-day process on average, culminating in the 68th day, roughly, but generally a 70-day period to create the mummy, divided into uh, four-day segments for the entire ceremony and the entire ritual. So 3,500 years ago, Egyptians understood and practiced, and not only practiced, but clearly from the mummies that we've seen in museums and on television, perfected mummification so that thousands of years later we have museums with these mummies preserved over the ages in ways that modern man could only do through chemicals and through computers and machines. Now that tells me that there are different levels of technological understanding, different levels of medical or scientific understanding, and different philosophies 
in regards to those things. Because you can understand how to build artificially intelligent systems and use algorithms and program computers. But if you don't know how to grow food and nobody's growing it for you, you'll die pretty quick. So you need to understand or have other people that understand other components of living life, right? You can design all the computers you want, but if you're exposed to the elements for long periods of time, you're going to die. I don't know if that makes sense, but the point is, just because you can build fancy computers doesn't mean you are advanced. Advanced is a word like progress or science that just it implies something, but it doesn't really have any substance or meaning to it. You know, the Egyptians might not have had iPads and cars, but the Egyptians definitely understood medical practices that we are scratching our heads today to understand. Not that we couldn't do them per se, but that we would need modern technology to do them. A lot of those things, including building some of the structures that they built. And we would we would need to have it, it would have to be done in a, in a different process than the, than the Egyptians in this case did. Meanwhile, they did it with none of those advancements. They just did it by trial and error and in processes that have been that have been so successful that they are preserved when they've been applied and we've seen the results of them. They've been preserved till the 21st century and will be for, for probably hundreds, if not thousands of years beyond. I mean, that is a level of understanding, technology, whatever you want to call it, that is very, very advanced. Now, because in the modern age, we suggest that humans can't really be that advanced, can't really be that intelligent, we have to either get our, get our source of inspiration and our source of purpose from hardline, mainline scientists, or we have to have gotten this from aliens. So the Egyptians, there's no way they understood the embalming process. Aliens brought that information to them, right? Aliens had to have done it. And today, we don't get our information from God or from aliens. We, we get it from scientists. We get it from doctors. They tell us what's possible and what's not possible, what's safe and what's not safe. And they'll mock and make fun of anything that is opposed to their narrow, rigid view. In other words, when a scientist is skeptical, they're only skeptical of a point of view. A lot of scientists do not have definitive reasoning why they believe something. It's just the status quo, and that's what you believe. It's just how things are. And likewise, people that are believers, as if there's this divide, and there is an arbitrary divide between skeptics and science and believers, I never really understood how you could be a professional skeptic. That means you're a professional at rejecting anything that you don't want to believe, rejecting anything you haven't been programmed to believe. That's asinine. That's so foolish. Professional skeptics give me a break. But what about the people that are professional believers? They don't care what the evidence says. They don't care if that hair in their backyard was from their dog. That's Bigfoot hair. They don't care if those, those, uh, you know, those teeth in their backyard are from their dog. 
because they buried their dog a couple of years ago. They found the teeth and the hair and the bones. That's Bigfoot. That's the Yeti. That's Sasquatch. That's Skunk Ape. They believe. You know, the scientists likewise just believe. They just believe things. And likewise, the people that typically just believe things are the ones that are also skeptical of anything to the contrary of what they believe. It's not about science or skepticism or belief. It's about a dogma. And it's about the isolation of the beliefs and the ideas, part of a collective hive mind in a sense, I would suggest, uh, depending on the belief system, that are preserved and they are defended, like capture the flag or something. You're not, you don't really believe it. You're just defending somebody from taking your belief away from you, whether you're a geneticist uh, geneticist, or whether you're a you hunt for the Loch Ness monster, you do the same exact types of things, and then try to alter the evidence to agree and align with your predetermined conclusion. That's not science; that's fraud. That's pseudoscience, true pseudoscience. But some things still remain unexplained, and we should allow. We don't officially, but we do in other way, other ways, allow for fields of study to pick up where the mainstream leaves off, like cryptozoology and astrology and homeopathy and things like that. Now, when you look at the past, 3,500 years ago, this medical papyrus about mummification in Egypt, and of course, the, the knowledge of that goes back thousands of years, maybe it was aliens. Maybe aliens are still influencing us today. I'd lean in the direction of, yes, they probably are. And yes, they probably did. What they are, I don't know what they are. I don't know what they look like. But the evidence tends to suggest that there's some kind of interference, some kind of intervention, some kind of invasion. That's a separate subject. But nevertheless, we look at the ancient man, the ancient human, as being this insignificant creature that is born and dies in dust with no achievements. And yet, the achievements of ancient man are literally all around us. And the evidence of those achievements that are all around us are so mind-blowing, so breathtaking, that scientists, some, and archaeologists and others are literally dedicating their lives to disproving that humans built those things. Or others that are dedicating their lives to proving that they were built and that we can rebuild them today, although we can't really rebuild them today in the same way, at least using the same technology that was used then. So that leaves us with a conundrum. That leaves us with a problem. That means either aliens did build those things, which I don't think that's the case. You know, I mean, you, you, you think of the, the Moai on Easter Island, Rapa Nui. Uh, you think of Chitsun Itza. I hope I pronounced that right. Uh, on the Yucatan, yes, the Giza Plateau, all the pyramids all over China, and and the temple complexes from South America to Egypt to China. And y you think about the complexities of these structures. It tells us that if ancient aliens didn't build them, and I don't think they did, then ancient man probably built them. And if we can't reconstruct them today, ancient man knew something we don't know today. And that's not good because that implies a lot of stuff. It implies, one, we've lost all that information, and it goes beyond implication. It demonstrates without a shadow of a doubt and proves that we've lost a tremendous amount of 
knowledge over the years. Two, the knowledge hasn't really been lost. It's just been preserved in secret for some reason. That would involve some larger conspiracy. Or it implies that it isn't necessarily a conspiracy or you know knowledge has been lost because we've just been lazy. It, knowledge could have been lost for a number of reasons, one of which could have been in incredible cataclysmic events. And if ancient man with this advanced knowledge, arguably more advanced than we have today, although I know we have iPads, I know, that ancient man not only knew some stuff we didn't know, but ancient man didn't survive to tell us about it. So if ancient man didn't survive, we ain't going to survive. And a lot of people can't deal with that. So they'd rather assign the responsibility to ancient aliens or suggest that Sure, ancient man built those things, but ancient man is still, you know, a, a caveman. And, and that's, that's one of the most preposterous things and one of the most embarrassing things that we teach the youth. I mean, that it, it's an insult and it's a fraud to teach this in school, to imply or to suggest in any way, shape, or form that ancient man was so incredibly ignorant and just had loincloths and just, you know, had collective communes were just basically acted like animals and had sex with each other and there was no arrangement of society or structure when all the evidence points to the very opposite of that that their societies were arguably more advanced than we have today that their societies were arguably more progressive in whatever wording that you know that might mean whether it's architecture or customs, because the customs we have today and the architecture we have today, it's either the remnants physically or figuratively of what was constructed then, or it's constructed after what was constructed then, literally or figuratively. So we're living off of the sweat and the blood and the tears and the hard work of those people. Now, that doesn't mean that we dismiss everything in between, but we just go back to the beginning of what we can record, and it was more advanced than we have today, and they didn't survive. So it doesn't look very good for us, and we don't really want to think about that because, well, we have an expiration date. Now, psychologically and egotistically, we'd rather dismiss that, so we don't want to talk about it. But let's just, let's just fast forward from the past, and rewind from the present. And let's, let's, let's look at the subject of wartime medicine. Here's a great example. About a year ago, I went to a Civil War museum in Maryland. And when I got to the museum, I, I, was, uh, I was hoping that they would have like some of those fake uh, rolled up constitutions or something like that. I ended up getting a Gettysburg address. Um, but I was looking at the gift shop for that. And uh, I walk in the museum, and I'm walking around. I'm, I start noticing, like, there's a lot of stuff about the Civil War I didn't know. Uh, just got into the Civil War a couple of years ago, like, reading a lot about it. And some of the stuff I learned, uh, it was more so a, a, a Civil War museum that was based on Civil War medicine. And I learned things that I didn't know, but it's pretty much mainstream. Uh, what I mean by that is, you think about Civil War medicine, like American 1860s Civil War medicine, you think of butchers and surgeries performed without any anesthetic, and you think of you know infections and people dying. The reality is, there, there first of all, were not a lot of 
you know, battles. When a soldier was in camp, they weren't fighting every single day, first of all. Second of all, there was anesthetic applied, and it was applied in 95% of all surgeries that were performed. But we look back on that period just in recent American history, and I'm sure you have examples of this in your country or if you are in America or you like American history for whatever reason. Just It's just an example. I know we have listeners in the U.K., listeners in Australia. We have listeners in Israel. But the point is, we talk about the 1860s, which was like 150 years ago, as if the the people that conducted these operations were these just barbarians. But they weren't barbarians. They were no more advanced or less advanced than we are today in, in context with their day and age. In fact, they were more advanced than we think because we've kind of demeaned and degraded what they did, even though it's the basis for what we do today. An example of that would be a guy named Jonathan Letterman. Never heard of him? Probably not. I didn't know who he was till last year. Jonathan Letterman was basically the father of medical evac, the father of medical supply transport, and the father of triage. I mean, we still use all these things today. Uh, triage is something that you probably heard of if you ever been to a if you ever been to an emergency room. Evac is something you've heard of, I'm sure. You know. So one guy developed the the process for all this, and it was in the 1860s during the the Civil War, or you know, revamped other processes. They had ambulances in the 1860s. Uh, they weren't driving around with sirens on, but they had ambulances. Yeah, they weren't you know air conditioned. They weren't totally sanitary, but the, the, the point is what we do today is because of what they did then. Our progress today is progression to them, if they were to look at where we are today. Our progress today is not progress yet. It's, it's decisions that are made in the moment, and then in the future it'll either be progress or, or it'll be a deprogression. And I find it fascinating that contrary to popular belief, Civil War Doctors were not butchers. They did not perform surgery without, without anesthetic. They, they did use drugs. And a, and a lot of the medical practices employed then later became practices that were used for civilian purposes after the war and up until the 21st century today, like triage and evac. Anesthetic was used in 95% of the surgeries performed during the Civil War. But we're told it was all barbaric. They used ether, they used chloroform, used whiskey. I mean, you ever gotten like a really bad cut or a broken bone or something? And you, you know, you, you don't really know what to do. And you might go to the hospital or something like that or an, an ER or a, 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 an emergency care. I, I've known people that, you know, they're adults and they hurt themselves and to, numb themselves they just drink a bunch of alcohol you know you take painkillers it's no different than what was done in the 1860s and i'm getting to you know i'm progressing toward a destination here with my commentary Uh, most of the amputations were life-saving and they were due to the unique damage caused by a specific and a a new type of bullet uh, from a rifle musket wound uh, that's why the amputations were performed. Not everybody who walked in, hey, I cut my arm, let's cut it off. Now, three quarters of Civil War surgeries were amputations, and they were supported by prosthetics, 
They didn't just cut people's arms off and throw them in a ditch and say, get on your way. There were prosthetics used in the 1860s. And again, contrary to popular belief, uh, those surgeries were performed with anesthetic. Another interesting detail about the American Civil War is that of the 620,000 deaths, one-third of them were due to what we classify as venereal disease. They did not die of wounds on the battlefield or medical treatment or care. Uh, and and, and uh, it, it was, it's pretty incredible that just a very small number of people died of wounds. Most of the people died of diseases, which were mostly unsanitary conditions, and I imagine a lot, probably some of the drugs and the things that the doctors prescribed and gave people. Uh, and it, it, it's just not like with anything else. It's just not exactly what we've been told. And when you study the American Civil War, at least, um, you know Harriet Tubman, right? Har- Harriet Tubman was an herbalist. Uh, Surrey King Taylor, one of the first black nurses, she was and she was into herbology from what I've read. I'm not sure if that's true, but. Uh, Samuel Hainernan, he was a homeopathy practitioner, and he had searched at the time for less harsh treatments to what modern medicine at the time was doing. So I know this might sound confusing, like you're saying modern medicine was was advanced today because of what happened in the past, but then what happened in the past in the 1860s or ancient Egypt, like it was advanced, but it wasn't advanced. What I'm saying is we're told that ancient man didn't know anything and that Civil War doctors or any doctor at any time didn't know anything when, in fact, they knew a lot. And they were more advanced than we think that they were, but we suppress that because we're doing a lot of the same things today that we did then. And if we call them butchers and we call ourselves progressive and technologically advanced, then we're beyond the amputations without anesthetic, which didn't really happen. We're beyond the blue mass, You know what the blue mass is? Blue mass is licorice, rose leaves, honey, and elemental mercury. It was given to people to cure venereal disease. Do you know what mercury does when you ingest it, when you rub it on the skin? You rub mercury on the skin like raw mercury or in a salve, what will happen is your skin will start to fall off and you'll be designated a leper. In a lot of the cases of leprosy were from poisoning throughout history. That leprosy was caused by toxins and poison. But doctors during the Civil War, although they used anesthetic and there were prosthetics that were used for people that had amputations, doctors also prescribed mercury. And to this day, in the 21st century, mercury, one of those poisonous things known to man, is still put into dental fillings and you're not allowed to question it and a lot of the things that doctors give patients and prescribe them you know beyond the kickbacks they get from them from the drug companies a lot of those things are just as toxic as they were 160 years ago they're just like blue mass they might not be mercury but they're toxic And the practices that we have medically today are no different than they were 100, 200, 300 years ago. But they do seem to be a little bit different than they were thousands of years ago. So it's almost as if if humanity has progressed 
sort of a, a safer, cleaner, you know, medical practice, scientific practice, uh, technological advancement, etc. But we we forgot a lot of, along the way, and we refuse to acknowledge that because that would mean that what we know today is really not something that we know. It's just a guess, and we're no more secure, or safe, or healthier today than we've been at any point throughout history. And, and most of the safety and the health and the things like that, it's it's really because of hygiene and better sanitation. It's not because of medicine and vaccines and things like that. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings on The Fringe FM. You can visit our website at www.thesecretteachings.info. Subscribe to the show. Support us and The Fringe FM and catch us five nights a week right here on The Fringe. There's more after this in the final segment. Don't go anywhere right here on The Secret Teachings. You could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence. David has no evidence, but... I hate this channel. Or you could listen to The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, five nights a week on The Fringe FM. And join us to explore the outer limits of history, symbolism, parapolitics, and more. We'll explore a little of everything, but don't take my word for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm the last of a dying breed, a generalist. That's thesecretteachings.info and The Fringe FM. If you're interested in all things that include the occult, from witchcraft to voodoo, and from mythology to alchemy, then why not check out the book Occult Arcana, complete with hundreds of beautiful images. Maybe you want to look at technology, black goo, UFOs, and demonic pacts made in the entertainment industry. Check out the technological elixir. Black goo, transhumanism, and invoking AI. Or if that's not enough and you want a practical look at food, lifestyles, and ingredients, even those in your pet food, with free solutions to better health, then check out Food Philosophy. All three of these books are available in softcover or PDF at www.thesecretteachings.info That's where you can read reviews, see pictures, and even order yours today. It not only supports The Secret Teachings and Fringe FM, but most importantly, it supports you. The Ides of March is the notorious midpoint of that month associated with the death of Julius Caesar and the settling of debts in ancient Rome. Otherwise, it's a joyous gateway into the spring. To celebrate the coming equinox, The Secret Teachings is offering a one-year subscription to our show archive, montage archive, all of my digital books, and a free physical copy of one of my books with free shipping in the U.S., all for only $50. If you prefer a monthly subscription only to the archives and digital books, it's also available. Either donate $50 one time for the year, or establish reoccurring payments through PayPal on our website at thesecretteachings.info, or through the PayPal email rdgable at yahoo.com. This offer can be used to extend a current subscription and is good around the world. Your support truly keeps us on air five nights a week, supporting both The Secret Teachings and The Fringe FM. 
they all say the same thing. They're all like, you know, over the last four years, everything good that happened was because of us. And we would have done more good stuff if it wasn't for those guys. And then they, the Democrats go, oh, we did all the good stuff. <laughs> it's like you're all working for the same guy. It's March, the month of the spring equinox, Ostara, right here on KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. Want more of The Fringe? Check out thefringe.fm for more information on your favorite shows. Also, don't forget to check out The Fringe mobile app or the other ways you can tune in through the Paranormal Radio app and talk stream live. Where the normal and paranormal collide, it's The Fringe FM. This is The Secret Teachings. If you'd like to contact the show, email Ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com or find him on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesecretteachings. Howdy, this is Joe Mars, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. I'm Clyde Lewis from Ground Zero Radio, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Hi, it's David Childress from Ancient Aliens, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. You're listening to The Secret Teachings on The Fringe FM. I'm your host, Ryan Gable. The 1860s Civil War between the North and the South here in the United States, at the time a divided states, President Lincoln wanted to, beyond anything else, preserve the union of the states and said that if he could do so without freeing one slave, he would do so. We think of the Civil War and we think of these butchers, these doctors that just cut people's arms and legs off with no anesthetic and sent them on their way with no arm, with no leg, limping away, crawling away. But that wasn't the case. In fact, 95% of all the surgeries performed during the Civil War were performed with anesthetic. And a majority of the Civil War surgeries that were amputations, about three-quarters of all the surgeries, were actually supported with prosthetics made of wood and leather and things like that. And that most of the amputations were a result of life-saving surgery, not barbaric chopping, due to the unique damage that was caused by the new rifle musket rounds. In the Revolutionary War, there was a... a, a, a smooth bone uh, ball that was used and during the Civil War was a 58 caliber musket uh, I believe it was called mini or something like that it was it was like lead and what it would do is when it would hit the body it would splinter the bone and it would destroy all the surrounding tissues so this was a very very ar- I mean war is barbaric but arguably barbaric uh, d- invention this new 58 caliber round and it caused a lot of damage to the skin and to the surrounding tissue. So they just 
lofted to to take the leg off. Now, surgeries today, you could probably save a person without getting their leg off. But the point is, at the time, this was what was advanced. Contrary to the belief that these surgeons were barbarians, the evidence shows they were not barbarians. They were actually at the cutting edge of medical technology at the time, medical practices. In fact, Jonathan Letterman invented and created and organized as we know it today. Uh, others, I'm sure, had ideas. Uh, EVAC, medical supply transport, and triage. There were even ambulances that were used during the Civil War here in the United States. And most of the people died because of disease. In, in fact, uh, at least two-thirds of people died of disease. Only one-third died of wounds. Two-thirds died of disease, and a third of those two-thirds died of what we classify as venereal disease. Now, it's likely they didn't die of venereal disease. It's likely they died of the treatments to venereal disease. Because when you were diagnosed with venereal disease, they would give you something called blue mass. Blue mass was a combination of rose leaves, honey, and licorice. Kind of sounds good. I don't particularly like licorice, but... Kind of sounds good. You make a tea out of that. But it would also be mixed with elemental mercury. So you're in a camp and you got some itching or something's going on. And the doctor says, you've got a venereal disease. Take some blue mass. And then you die and they say, well, you died of the venereal disease. Didn't die of the venereal disease. You died of the blue mass. You died of ingesting mercury. And likely you died of ingesting a lot of mercury. And you died of unsanitary conditions. It's no different during the Civil War than it was during the First or Second World War or any subsequent war or historical war. Most people died because of chemicals, because of poison, because of practices that, if not practiced, would have actually prevented death rather than you know, caused it. What that means is, you look at the Spanish flu and they say all these millions of people died. In reality, a lot of people didn't die from the flu. They died from new chemicals being used on the battlefield. You know how many of those people that died, the tens of millions, were supposedly soldiers? I suppose the people that supposedly died, rather, of, of the flu were soldiers who had been exposed to new chemicals and in, 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 in new forms of chemical warfare at the time? And the symptoms of those chemicals were the same symptoms of the flu. You know that the blue mass that people were administered to treat VD or other things during the Civil War caused people to die? So they didn't even necessarily die of disease. They died of the treatments to disease. So in that respect, modern medicine is no more advanced than it was in the 1860s, at least here in the States. But we have to degrade and demean the past. These were butchers. They didn't use anesthesia. They didn't even have prosthetics. Everybody died of the war. It was so horrible. But in reality, most people died of disease. They weren't fighting all the time. They died of disease. They died of you know hunger. They died of exposure. They died of, of, of treatments to diseases that weren't even identified as being the cause of the disease of, 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 of a virus or something. And I think that's really, really important to think about. It's really, really important to think about because it can allow us to shift 
our perspective that what modern medicine does today and what modern technology professes and implies today is only the pinnacle of the current moment. There is no up or down. It, it is the now. And if we can associate ourselves with the past and demean and degrade the past as these people were barbarians and in Egypt in particular, they wore loincloths and didn't dress. And in reality, they dressed extravagant, the royalty in Egypt. They built these incredible structures, or at least occupied incredible structures that humans had built from the past. And, and they had complex systems of embalming that we looked at in this 3,500-year-old medical papyrus. From the other day, this was just revealed that there are now three. Prior to this, there were two texts on mummification that had been identified by archaeologists. Now there's a third one, and it describes a complex process of mummification. But no, they were, they were incompetent fools. Why? Because if they were anything like us or more advanced, why can't we build what they built? Why can't we do what they did without modern technology at least? That implies they had modern technology or they did it without modern technology, one of which might actually be scarier. And perhaps the scariest thing is that whether or not they had modern technology in the context with how we define it, they ain't here anymore. Right? They're not here anymore, so that must mean something happened. All their technology and all their understanding didn't help save them. And we even do the same thing with the Civil War. Not The Civil War in the United States wasn't 3,500 years ago or more. You'd have to have a process of acquiring that knowledge over the years and to put it in a 3,500-year-old medical papyrus. In the 1860s, during the American Civil War, we say that these people were butchers and that they didn't know what they were doing. When rally, they did know what they were doing. That was advanced medicine at the time. Today, this is advanced medicine. What we do today. In fact, today, it might not even be so much medicine anymore. It's, it's barbary. It, tr- it is true barbary. Shoving Q-tips up your nose and anal swabs up your butt and making people wear masks and then making fun of and mocking people like Gwyneth Paltrow who's like, I'm just going to eat a plant-based diet and take an infrared sauna bath. I don't know if that does anything, but it's probably better than hydrochloroquine. It's definitely better than going to the doctor and getting a vaccine that alters your RNA officially. It's definitely better than getting experimented on like all the babies and pregnant mothers that they're now going, look it up, they're going to now experiment vaccine experiments and trials on pregnant mothers and children. Just, I'd rather eat plants and take my chances. You know? It tells us that we aren't so advanced. We aren't so at the cutting edge today. In some ways we are, in some ways we're not. In fact, U.S. Air Force .mil, the military website of the U.S. Air Force, they are sponsoring, Air Force Office of Scientific Research is sponsoring and advancing wound healing technology that would allow for cellular reprogramming as a process to take any type of human cell, like a skin cell, reprogram it so that its genome becomes a different kind of cell, such as a muscle or blood cell, neuron, or other type of human cell. Done through proteins called transcription factors, these transcription factors turn on and off various genes within cells to regulate activities such as cell division and growth and cell mitigation or migration, excuse me, and organization. And this process, if they could package this, would allow them to have a spray-on Band-Aid that would allow for heals, uh, wounds to heal. 
in a matter of, they don't give a specific time, but a matter of five times quicker than a wound would typically heal. So maybe it takes a week for a scratch to fully heal, like a cut to fully heal, depending on how deep it is. With this technology, it would allow on a cellular level for that wound to heal in uh, a process five times faster. So it might only heal in a day. Maybe two days. Now, of course, that's used for military purposes. That's going to be used on the battlefield. And uh, being used on the battlefield, uh, that is in comparison with Civil War medicine, yeah, far more advanced. Doesn't mean that some of the things we do today aren't still barbaric. We still put mercury in people's mouths, but you're not supposed to touch the pool thermometer. We put mercury in people's mouths and mercury in vaccines, thimerosal, and there is a difference between ethyl and methyl mercuries. One is absorbed quicker by the body. The other is absorbed slower by the body, but it's still toxic and poisonous, and the CDC acknowledges that. And there's also something called bioaccumulation. Oh, a little bit won't hurt you. Yeah, but when I have it accumulated in my body, it'll hurt me. And then I'll die, and they'll say I died of venereal disease like they did in the Civil War. People didn't die a lot of venereal disease. They died of blue mass. They died of chemicals. They died of poisoning. You're not dying of COVID. You're dying of heart attacks. You're not dying of COVID. You're dying of gunshots and car wrecks and recategorized deaths. Oh, it's so sad. 500,000 people died. What about the 670,000 people who just died of heart disease the last year? What about the 410,000 people that died of preventable deaths from smoking? Because you couldn't take the stick out of your mouth for two seconds to take a puff of fresh air. We're going to feel sorry for those people next? All the people that eat candy and drink soda for breakfast? And eat meat 24 hours a day, nonstop? Am I supposed to feel sorry for you when you die and then we classify it as COVID and I have to wear a mask and social distance and take a vaccine to fly because you don't want to put down the steak or the cigarette? No. I'm not making you sick. You're making you sick. Doesn't mean meat or smoking is the end of the world. I'm just saying poison, toxins, stress, electromagnetic frequencies, chemicals, that's what makes people sick. That's what people are dying from. That's what they died from during the Civil War, other than wounds. That's what they're dying from today. That's what they died from during the Spanish flu of 1917. A lot of new chemicals tested on the battlefield. A lot of soldiers <clears throat> that got sick. And they, was, they reclassified them as flu deaths. They did the same thing in 1917. <clears throat> so, I looked up, uh, you know, in a, in a history uh, uh, book, because we were talking about the Civil War tonight, some, uh, some of the things about the Civil War that I thought we could toss in here in the last segment, uh, one of them is a historical notation that if you enjoy Civil War history or American history, uh, tomorrow, the 3rd of March, is the anniversary, dating back to 1865, the anniversary of the United States Congress establishing the Bureau of Refugees and the Freedmen's Bureau, or the Freedmen and Abandoned Lands, the Freedmen's Bureau. Now, if you don't know what the Freedmen's Bureau is, it was enacted in 1865, March 3rd, that's tomorrow, that's the anniversary. And it, it should be, a, like, we celebrate Black History Month in February, we celebrate 
you know, Martin Luther King Day, civil rights, things like that. But we don't really think about the Freedman's Bureau. Do you know what that was? The Freedman's Bureau was the Freedman's Bureau attempted to settle blacks on plantations that were taken by Union troops. And at the time, the president actually issued pardons to the plantation owners to void this reparation at the time. So reparations were given to actual slaves, actual slaves in the 1860s, people that had been slaves. And the Freedmen's Bureau that the U.S. Congress established were going to take blacks and put them, give them land from plantations, and the president issued a pardon to void these reparations. That was Andrew Johnson, uh, a man who in 1867 said, it is the glory of white men to know that they have had these qualities in sufficient measure to build upon this continent a great political fabric and to preserve its stability for more than 90 years on every other part of the world. All similar experiments have failed. And he goes on to talk about the, the wonderful nature of white people. But if anything can be proved by known facts, if all reasoning upon evidence is not abandoned, it must be acknowledged that in the progress of nations, Negroes have shown less capacity for government than any other race of people. It's interesting that Andrew Johnson, at a State of the Union in 1867, would make such a statement. And Andrew Johnson, President of the United States, uh, who was, you know, President, he was the Vice President under Abraham Lincoln. And uh, he was a Democrat. Huh. Andrew Johnson, 17th president of the United States, took over after Abraham Lincoln was assassinated, you know, by John Wilkes Booth, death to tyrants, always, you know, the guy that had connections to Canadian and British banking and to various secret societies. Andrew Johnson was a Democrat who was a literal white supremacist. So, yeah, there are white supremacists throughout American history, no doubt about it. But there were many people, including those in the U.S. Congress, that created the Freedmen's Bureau, March 3rd, 1865, so the anniversary tomorrow, and they attempted to settle blacks who were actually slaves, like real slaves, okay? Not people that live today off of government assistance and play video games all day. Real slaves, okay? Not pseudo-historical intellectuals that think because they're black they deserve something, entitled little punks, and white people that think, I'll be a good white person if I give this black person something, like real slaves. Like, from the boat, from Africa slaves. They were given land by the Republican Party that was taken by Union troops, but the president, who was a literal white supremacist at the time, pardoned those plantation owners, which really were working for big mega banks run by Jewish people uh, who, who are not white, voided the reparation. Now, in response to that, the Republican Party appointed military governors in the South that had power to overload, uh, override and overload local authorities. As a result, 1,500 blacks won federal, state, and local elections. This included Blanche K. Bruce, the first black senator from Mississippi to serve a full term. He was also the only former slave to serve in the U.S. Senate. 
After having been born into slavery and freed, he studied at Oberlin College and became a farmer and landowner. Now, I don't know what they told you about history, whether about medicine or technology, but since the 1860s, uh, black people have served in the Senate. They have owned land. They have owned farms. They have been productive members of society without the oppressive white slave owner. White slave owners, plantation owners, contributed to less than 2% of the entire population at any given time. And a majority of people alive today in the United States, because we have so many immigrants here, it's a country of immigrants, there really are very few people that have any relationship to slave owners. Very, very small. Some of them do, like Kamala Harris and uh, that woman from Somalia in the Congress. They're, they're from slave-holding families, not slave-holding fam- slave families. Now, that's interesting, I think. In 1867, two years after the Freedmen Bureau was established, in 1867, the first Reconstruction Act passed in the U.S. Congress, overturning Andrew Johnson, the white supremacist Democratic Party member, vote. In fact, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, championed by the Democrats, and the Fair Housing Bill of 1968, were based on the 14th Amendment, which granted equal rights under the law and black citizenship. It reaffirmed the United States Constitution, to all people. The Voting Act of 1965 gave blacks a right they already had under the 15th Amendment. The Democratic Party that championed voting and fair housing and civil rights were just playing off of the Constitution that had already given people this power. These acts just reaffirmed what had already been confirmed, in particular the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, which were passed by the Republican Party, Almost exclusively. In fact, the 13th Amendment, which outlawed slavery or involuntary servitude except as punishment for crime, was passed with a vote of 100% Republican in the Senate in 1864, the House in 1865. The 14th Amendment in the Senate and House in 1866 was passed by every Republican, not a single Democrat voted for it. The 15th Amendment in 1869 was passed primarily by all the House Republicans, no House Democrats, 39 Republican Senators, 13 Democrats. Now, I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. But there's a long history of true white supremacy. Like Andrew Johnson, there's a true history of real slavery in our country, and in every country around the world. Whites have been slaves, blacks have been slaves, natives have been slaves, you name it. Everybody's been enslaved at some point. Now this idea of reparations and reparations and reparations, and we also about the Civil War and Abraham Lincoln freeing the slaves, and it's a wonderful thing. You're just missing a lot of information, unfortunately. And a good example of this is uh, the former NFL player Herschel Walker, who said slavery ended over 130 years ago. We don't need reparations. He said, quote, we use black power to create white guilt. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. But then they'll call him an Uncle Tom. And 
you have to understand that what's happening is that there are real white supremacists, there real are real slave owners, you know, that operate today in context with this boogeyman that we've created from the past. And they are the same people that opposed the foundation of the United States Constitution and the federal government. Why, if the United States Constitution and the federal government, if it supported slavery, if it supported white supremacy, if it was all about the white man and nobody else, and all men are created equal except Indians and whites, you tell me how come slaveholders and slave owners, slave states primarily, most of the people even in slave states maybe benefited but didn't like slavery, why did they oppose it? You can say George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, they owned slaves. They did own slaves. But rather than casting a shadow on their legacy, it should actually do the opposite. Because these are men that at a time when slavery was considered acceptable, especially to the color of their skin, they decided it was wrong. And they either attempted to pass laws, as Thomas Jefferson did, even before being being the president, or they worked with the founding fathers as Congress banned slavery west of the colonies, west of the initial states, and banned slave importation by 1807. And these are men who at the time when, yes, arguably everything was given to them, gave up their homes and their land. Not that they didn't die very wealthy, they did, but they gave up their land, they gave up their home, they gave up their family, and they went to fight. They went to fight for something they believed in. Now, the thing is, they survived and they became war heroes and they became iconic, but if they died, they'd have lost everything. They'd have died for essentially nothing, and they would have died giving up everything that was worldly, all their possessions, to fight for a cause. They survived, and so they become immortal in a sense. People like Jefferson and Washington and others. And they saw that at a time when others thought it was perfectly acceptable, a very small minority ultimately, to own another human being, they themselves owning human beings decided this is wrong, and they outlawed it. That's the history that your Marxist, communist, jackbooted, Gestapo, fascist professors won't tell you in school. That's the perspective they won't give you in school. It's the same perspective that your archaeology professor won't tell you. That people in the past were more advanced than we are today in many respects. And that's scary because that means they knew something we know, or they knew more than we know, and they're not here today. And they either had our technology, which makes us very, very nervous. They had the technology and they still died. Or they didn't have it. They did it without our technology, which makes us perhaps even more nervous. We have all this great technology and it means virtually nothing. And then during the Civil War, they were not butchers and there might have been a couple doctors, but it was advanced for the time. It was modern at the time. And we do a lot of the same things they did then. We haven't really advanced much past Civil War medicine today. We haven't advanced much past the Spanish flu. People die of chemicals in the war during World War I. We say they died of the flu. They died of chemical exposure. You give people blue mass for venereal disease, they die of the mercury exposure, and you call it venereal disease death or some other death. 
You give people toxic chemicals, you spray ammonium chloride compounds all over the place, quaternary ammonium compounds to, to clean for COVID, and you got people taking vaccines, RNA vaccines, and pumping themselves full of, of drugs, and then they died of COVID. No, you died of mercury, you died of chemicals, and you died of exposure to environmental toxins and stress and fear and anxiety and all the other things. And, and that's the medical angle. The historical angle, along with the medical angle, and the racial angle, if we're talking about present conflicts, takes us back to a time when most of the people at the time were not white supremacists, were not slave owners. And the ones that were, the ones that founded the United States of America as the country we know it, gave up everything to fight for what they believed was right. Sure, they died with a lot because they were war heroes. They became leaders. And so they accumulated wealth. Not all of them, some of them. And they're iconic, and they're historical, and they're important. Because they knew at a time when everybody else thought it was okay that it was wrong to own slaves. Congress banned the importation. They banned slavery west of the colonies. And the colonies that were in support of a federal constitution were opposed by the states that were slave owners, slave-owning states. Why? Why were they opposed? If if all the Constitution did was create a, a, a country of white superiority, why did the slave-owning states reject it? Why did it take a two-house uh, a Congress and a Senate, you know, representation based on population and then representation based on the state, everybody gets two senators, why was that the solution? That had to have been offered as a solution. Why did the southern states want blacks to be considered three-fifths of a person when otherwise they considered them generally property? You don't know the context, and if you read it, you realize virtually everything you've ever been told about everything is wrong. People will, with a straight face, look at you and tell you that the people who built pyramids and temples and embalmed bodies that last thousands of years, these people were primitive. They'll tell you that during a time when technology was changing and prosthetics were a new thing, and people had amputations, it was all barbaric. When in, a, in fact, it was actually because of new uh, weapons that people had to have arms and legs amputated, and prosthetics helped them to live a semi-normal life. And I'll tell you that all oh, the history of the U.S. is racist. And, yeah, people owned slaves, but they realized that was wrong at a time when it was normal. And they fought for what they believed. They gave up everything to fight for what was right. And, and you just told all this nonsense, and then you learn, and you're like, oh, wow. That's really what's going on, and it's that's what this show is all about, and I hope that you get that from me right here on The Secret Teachings. I'm Ryan Gable. Thank you all for listening. Subscribe to the show archive. Get access to the montages, the shows, the books, everything. I've got new copies of The Technological Elixir, Food Philosophy, and Occult Arcana. You can buy the books separate or get them as part of your subscription deal. You get one free copy with your subscription for a year. Montages and access to the digital books, www thesecretteachings.info. Email me, rdgable at yahoo.com for more information. Stay safe, stay informed, stay healthy. We'll talk to you on the next broadcast. Time's up. Time may be up for tonight's broadcast of The Secret Teachings, but don't worry, you can still catch us Monday through Friday right here exclusively on The Fringe FM. You can also subscribe to the show and montage archive while grabbing my books at thesecretteachings.info. To get in contact with us, you can email the show at rdgable at yahoo.com. 
Stay tuned to KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM.